Hello, welcome to a special bonus mini episode of the Beatles Books podcast with me, Joe Wisby. I'm joined by Chip Maddinger, co-author of Lenonology, a huge and enthralling volume that documents every aspect of John's life from 1968 to 1980. Written in the form of a daily journal, Lenonology is an unbiased and fascinating picture of John and Yoko's world. Chip Manninger, hello and welcome to the Beatles Books podcast. How are you? Hi Joe, how are you? Oh, I'm, I'm good, thank you. I'm very good. We're here to talk about um, the incredibly detailed, uh, wonderful book, Lenonology, which uh, you brought us way back in 2015 now. I just wanted to start in probably quite an obvious place, but I, I wonder what you... The first kind of ideas when the first kind of idea came up for this this project um it's a it was always going to be i suppose a massive kind of undertaking did you have any kind of reservations about starting it when you kind of first thought of it i kind of fell into the start of the book how, how it happened was uh, mark easter and i published eight arms to hold you in 2000 pretty much right after that i started collecting information and for for an update of that book and i never got past john so I, I made a list of all the people that basically met with them throughout their lives or worked through them or, or recorded with them, made the list, checked off who's dead, who, who have I got interviews with, who can I still contact, and kind of made up a wish list of all the interviews I'd like to conduct. And those just kept snowballing one after another. Well, have you talked to so-and-so? Well, you ought to try and talk to this guy. And, and so it was just basically a a wealth of information. And um, I ended up basically 13 years late on a two-year project. So wow. what I thought was going to take just a couple of years to, to pull together ended up taking 15 in total. What were the kind of main reasons for that? What kind of challenges did you face in kind of collating all this information together? Well, there was there was just so much information there. And what I learned a lot about while while doing the book was how the press would would produce stories. And if you had an editor that was on top of things, they would have put the correct date, like this happened tonight or this happened yesterday, or is a, you know, something that down the line a couple days away, it'd still say yesterday. So you'd have to bring all these different sources together and triangulate them so you could uh, put things in their proper place. Okay. So, You've seen the book and you know how many entries there are. Well, consider that for, for all of the entries. And uh, Scott Riley, co-author on the book, he uh, came on a couple years into the project and he helped with a lot of the research and uh, a lot of the newspaper items like, Scott, what was the weather like on this day? And he'd go in the New York Times and he'd, he'd find the weather for that date. He was also a great sounding board for if, you know, I was trying to put something in sequence, he'd say, well, what about this? And we'd go back and forth. So the, the book seems pretty rock solid as to the information that's in it. If we really couldn't verify anything with multiple sources, it wouldn't go in the book. Fair enough. I think that's a, that's a relief. Um, while you were writing this research and collating all this information together, was there a period of John's, of John's life in, in this kind of time frame that you found particularly interesting, fascinating, that you learned a particular uh, kind of element about? Well, there was really no era that was any more interesting than another. Since there's so little information on the 
retirement years, yeah. anything yeah. we found there was, was quite exciting and did turn up about 3,000 pages of uh, new information through a Freedom of Information Act here that dealt a lot uh, with a lot of the really got into the nuts and bolts of the INS case. And we found information about how they were being uh, blackmailed by a Puerto Rican organization that said, we're going to kidnap your kid and kill the wife if, if you don't do this. And there was this huge FBI file on all of this information. So those were neat finds. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, anything in 1980 was, was very exciting. And, and to, to put that in context was you know, neat to see for the first time because there haven't been a lot of John and Yoko books that, you know, they'll deal quite a bit with the Beatle years, but, you know, the, the, the solo years get maybe the last 30 pages or so. Mm-hmm. So it was, uh, it was an adventure all the way through. It certainly was. I can, I can sense that just by, by looking at the book. Um, John's one of these people, you get this kind of received wisdom don't you about about john where you've got you know falls in love with yoko 68 intense yoko break up lost weekend finds yoko again sean retirement double fantasy you know you that's kind of it was there anything that any of your kind of preconceptions about john that you had maybe before you started the project that while you were going so deep into this research you actually realized hang on that's not right was there anything that kind of leapt out at you that that kind of surprised you about about John's life in this in this period? Well, John and Yoko have probably been photographed and written about on a day to day news basis as much as any individual head of state. Uh, they're right up there, so there was a lot of information to draw from as to what I found. Uh, any misconceptions or, or myths? I mean, I'm, we you know, took on everyone that we could think of and and nothing actually springs to mind. But what I found very interesting was uh, learning his work methodology and how he would put together and record an album. You know, he he might have a couple song ideas floating around in the back of his head, but he wouldn't get down to the serious writing until after he'd gone ahead and booked the studio so that he had a forced start date to work with then he'd go in and he'd record for you know for example mind games you record a track for five consecutive days and they'd spend so many days on on rough mixes and then overdubs and then vocal overdubs and then they'd start with the mixing editing and and uh, mastering of the album so it, it was really cool to see that kind of process repeat itself for each of the albums okay so was that something that he did on every project every album that you made in the solo that didn't change from plastic ono to double fantasy uh double fantasy was much more involved for example plastic ono band was done on eight tracks and double fantasy was done by slaving two 16 track recorders together so i think if you you take the simpty track you've got uh, 30 tracks left over so there was a lot more to deal with and as you know that album there's a there's a much lusher sound to Double Fantasy than there is to Plastic Ono Band, yeah. uh, just because there's so much more there. So, but no, he they did work in that same sequence, and it was interesting to see that they would religiously take off the weekend. <laughs> okay, okay. They were save for when they were doing the tracking, and maybe because they had people that they were putting up in hotels and the like, they they'd want to get 
you know, they were, they were very cash conscious. So they might do the tracking quickly, but then as the album proceeded, they'd work more on a regular work schedule. Okay. You know, they'd go into the studio at two and probably be done by 10 at night on double fantasy. So even during that kind of lost weekend period when he's working with, obviously when Yoko's not in his life um, and he's, he's working with, with Phil Spector on the start of the rock and roll album and, uh, and other things, he, he's, he's still, I, I kind of got, got the sense mm-hmm. from, the, from the book that he's still the focused one. You know, you've got Harry and Ringo and Keith Moon doing these, these crazy things. John always seemed, even though John had his moments, as we know, in that period, John always seemed to be the one that kind of had, had his head on and, you know, wanted to try and focus the, the musicians around him. Well, the rock and roll sessions with Spectre are truly an aberration in regards to the, the progress or the process that I, that I spoke of. Right. Um, but when you talk about the, uh, the Pussycats album, yes, he was the one that, that as May said, he, he stopped partying, stopped drinking and, he was the one that was responsible or for gathering everybody and getting them to the studio and getting them home at night. Was there the people that you, so you said at the start of the interview there that you, you kind of made a list of people that, that you could speak to. Did you find that a, a, like an easy process of approaching people to, to try and find that information? Um, some of the initial interviews were difficult because I was making cold calls and really didn't have any references uh, for people that I'd spoken to previously. Now, uh, a lot of the research for the recording processes in, in, in Leninology were researched back when I was doing the research for eight arms. Okay. So um, I think Hugh McCracken was one of my first interviews and he answered the phone, I don't do interviews. And he'd <laughs> never done an interview, but by the time that phone call was over with, he agreed to, to speak with me about it. So that was my first interview. Yeah. Uh, I actually for both projects. So it got easier as time went on and you, you found the proper questions to ask people and the things that could get them to speak more. And you, you had to become a good listener, basically. You'd have to have a good, a good leading question and then be prepared to, to let them uh, tell their story. Okay. Did you get a, a similar sense from all the people that you spoke to about John or did they describe you know, a, a different John to someone that you spoke to that knew John in 72, someone that worked with him during Double Fantasy. Did you find uh, like a different difference of opinion? Not that I can recall. There were everybody, it's like this in life, everybody kind of has an agenda and they have their sense of the truth. And, okay. and at okay. times those would conflict. And like I said, we had to sort those out. You know, we basically with Leninology, all of the dates had to come from contemporary documentation, some sort of paperwork or recorded interview or something like that. And all the interviews were uh, the colorization uh, to tell more of the stories, but to actually nail down the dates, we, we had to have documentation for that. Okay. People you know, through the seventies were obsessed uh, and still are really with, yeah. with John and Paul um, and their relationship um, which is the heart of the Beatles. And, you know, it's, it's completely natural that people would be interested in how they kind of reacted to each other. Whilst you were writing and researching the book, did you get, first of all, did you get any sense of, of that relationship of, 
the people that you spoke to, the, you know, the, 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 the things that you found. Was it a relationship, do you think, that, that stayed the same through that period? Were there, you know, I'm, I'm sure there were kind of highs and lows, but um, did you, again, did you learn anything new that, that we didn't know about, about their kind of time together through the 70s? May Pang was quite helpful in that regard. Uh, yeah. You know, she spoke quite a bit of the time that they were together in Los Angeles and uh, the spring of 74 and the times when they, uh, when Paul and Linda visited their apartment in 75. And uh, the only other, Elliot Mintz spoke of, of some time together with the McCartneys and, and John and Yoko, mm -hmm. as did Bob Gruen. Okay. And I think the only the last date that we could really confirm uh, was the Saturday Night Live in April of '76, right. when they were when they were at the Dakota and, and watching the show, and you know, you know, we're we're basically just blocks away mm -hmm. from the studio, and it wouldn't take much to get in a cab and go over, but they they ended up for unknown reasons not doing so. Uh, there are the stories about Paul coming to the Dakota with a guitar and ringing the bell, but we really couldn't confirm any dates for, for that story. Okay. Okay. Well, what about the other Beatles? Um, there's been quite a lot of conjecture about John and George's relationship. And in particular, they the last time they um, were in the same room where they were, they were present. What did you find out about that? We know they were together in, um, uh, late 1974 as George's tour was wrapping up and they were signing the, 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 the agreement to dissolve the Beatles. Um, I believe George and John got together in 76 when George was in town for the uh, My Sweet Lord hearings, the, the, the court case. Mm. And uh, that was the latest date I think we had that John and George were together. Okay. Um, Ringo, was, Ringo was much more recent, wasn't it? There was was that yeah. November eighty or something like that. I believe so. Yeah, right, okay. it's been five years, but yeah, I think that's when the last time they were together. Okay, obviously through the book, you, you know, you go through day by day what what John did um, as far as you can. Were you surprised looking at all that in a way when he announces that he's going to retire? You know, he's going to retire. He's going to he's going to cancel his subscription to Billboard and quit writing and um, recording music was that you know looking at all that all the the stuff that he did you know that they did they did so much stuff both him and Yoko and him on his own was that something that that kind of in a way it, it kind of seems obvious doesn't it that that was what it, he was going to do I mean he his contracts were fulfilled and he wasn't beholden to anyone at the time so he took the opportunity to be with the family and to do his own thing and who can blame him for that so right right you, you were saying earlier then, so did you find so that, that period, you know, from, from 75 or 76 really onwards, does the information kind of drop off in a sense? You know, how often did they, did the information, did the, the press reports, etc., TV, radio appearances just completely drop off after the end of 75? Yes. Yeah, it, it pretty much dried up. And there were a few mentions in Rolling Stone or in some of the other music papers, uh, and, you know, they'd hold, they had a press conference while they were in Japan and um, the press information definitely dropped off. So, so unfortunately, we don't have as many entries for that period of time, but, but we've done the best that I feel we could. Because, yes, some of my favorite 
parts of the book, uh, obviously, where you've, you've drawn on various different sources of, you know, the, the description of John and Yoko's and Sean's, you know, home life. There's the, the scene or the entry where John's trying to teach Sean uh, or Sean knows with a little help from my friends. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that, I think that's a beautifully um, kind of described uh, scene. Uh, there is audio of that, isn't there, where they're trying to, well, he's, he's asking John about, you know, who sings this? Do you sing right, it? Right. And that was kind of a fun piece of tape to work with because in the background of it, you can hear the news report on the television. Right. So Scott and I triangulated down to when that broadcast was going on. It was the afternoon, I think, in November the 30th. Or, or I'd, have, I'd have to look at the date, but we were able to nail down the date that 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 piece of tape was recorded. Okay. Excellent. Excellent stuff. Yep. While you were, when you kind of finished the book, uh, did it, how did you feel? Did you feel like, you know, obviously you, you were, you know, it, it took a lot longer than you, than you thought. Was, what was the main kind of sense that, that you felt when you finished it? Was it relief? Was it, you know, tiredness? Was it a mixture of things? The last six months of the project were, extremely difficult because for one the, the book was self-published self-promoted self-marketed so trying to manage all of those things while getting the manuscript together and ready for print was a very difficult task once the book was finished and the print and the, the books arrived you know i had to fulfill a thousand some odd orders you know, which is, is quite an uh, adventure. You know, you've got you've to put in the signature plates and, and paste them in properly and package everything properly so it makes it across the, the, uh, the ocean. Um, <laughs> that's the one thing that I, Miss Gaming, I really have about the book is that the uh, postage increases at that time, I think, really killed the book as far as it, its international sales. Uh, it now costs more to mail the book than the book itself. Wow. So, wow. you know, to, if I want to mail it to you now, it would be somewhere around $65 to, to ship you the book. So, um, okay. and before you ask it, no plans for an electronic version just yet. Okay. Um, okay. Need to get, uh, need to reduce the stock a little bit more before, before that because, you know, nowadays you sell one copy and it's, it's, it's all over the place. So right. right. um, kind of need to maximize the, the investment there. So was it always going to be something that you were going to self-publish or was it something that, you know, you, did you take this idea to a publisher or was it something that you kind of got support with from, from anywhere? No, it was absolutely self-published from, from day one. Self-published eight arms. Yeah. Um, self-published the, the, the 910 guide with Doug Sulpey before that. And when you're in control of the, the different facets of production and the writing, you can say what you want. There's nobody that's going to edit it after you and make and introduce a, another batch of mistakes and, and take out important things. And so uh, I guess being a control freak, it was always going to be self-published from the start. What kind of feedback did you get from, uh, you know, did you get anything from the Lennon estate or, or anyone that, um, you know, kind of uh, around that at all once it had been published? Scott and I uh, thought hard about whether or not to approach the Lennon estate or not. Um, 
and we decided that there wasn't anything that Yoko was really going to be able to tell us mm. that we didn't know. It's not like she was going to open up the file cabinets to us and the like, and we figured we would be able to write a more unbiased story without intervention from, from the Dakota. Okay. Drawing toward the end uh, of, our, of our chat, Chip, um, is there anything, you know, it's such a huge project that you gave you know, so much of your, of your kind of time and life to, um, is there anything that, that you would change that, or is there anything that you were particularly kind of satisfied with uh, uh, about the book? I I was very satisfied with how the book came out. The the plan for the project was to be a multiple volume set with the first set being the, the groundwork, the, the, the timeframe and then the timeline for all of their activities and the later books were going to drill down more into each of the individual albums, uh, the movies, the home recordings and the like, uh, much in the same way that the recent Imagine box set, you know, you saw the wealth of information that was included in that. Mm. That was very similar to how I had the, the future volumes of Leninology set up. Okay. So, um, I'm not sure I'm going to progress at this point, but a lot of that material was all written and gathered at the same time. Um, there's a chance some of it might see the light of day sometime, you know, or might might stay unreleased. <laughs> you know, time will tell, maybe after I've retired. <laughs> okay, we'll keep an eye out for that. We'll keep focus for that. Um, did you get, you know, at the end of the project, you know, you, you spent, you know, all, all this time with John in a way, what was your kind of feeling about him kind of as, as, a, as a person, you know, or, you know, he's, he's a tremendously divisive figure amongst Beatle fans and, and, and non-Beatle fans in, in a way. Um, what was the real kind of sense of the man that you got from both researching and from speaking to people that, that worked with him and knew him? Well, I never met him, so I didn't have the benefit of, of that inter- any interaction with him. I've thousands of hours of tape, so I, I do have a feeling that I knew of him somewhat, speaking with the people. So I, I feel like I got a, a good picture of him and tried to convey that in the book. Um, it, the book was laid out uh, without foresight. So if you read the, the entry on June the 6th, you didn't know what was going to happen on June the 7th until it happened. And it was written in a fashion that hopefully you could hear John speaking in your head as you read through the book, as you read the quotes from him, you'd hear his voice in the head. Uh, we didn't edit the quotes for that reason. Hopefully we, we got that, that feeling across. I completely think that you did. Um, it, it's interesting to note, one thing we did come across in the book, um, how much John was involved in Yoko's art projects and the films. And as blind as she was for her music, he was treated that way by her artistic associates. Mm. She was the one when it came to the films and, and the, the, the happenings and the like. You know, he, he took the, the secondary seat, secondary role in those cases. Okay. And, and that was neat to see. And, and how much she was really involved in his albums and how much he was involved in hers. He would spend more time on her projects than he would on his own. Well, Chip, I've... I've, I've really enjoyed chatting to you i've learned even more <laughs> about john than i i did from from reading your book it's a it's a monumental achievement um and uh, yeah 
thanks so much for, Thank you. for spending some time with me. By all means, take care.